This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. A great hand reached out of the dark and grasped mine for a moment, mightily and tenderly. I said to myself, the veil between, though very dark, is very thin. Hello and welcome to The Thin Place, the Film Geek Radio podcast devoted to discussions of religion, faith, and spirituality in film. Your hosts for this episode, as usual, are Todd Truffin, that's me, and Ken Moorfield. That's me. This is episode number 15 for April 2012. Our topic for this episode is Blue Like Jazz, the 2012 comedy comma drama film by director Steve Taylor. This episode is not a spoiler-free discussion. If you have not yet seen the film and do not want plot spoilers, now would be a good time to check out one of the other great podcasts on Film Geek Radio. So, Ken, we've got Blue Like Jazz, the adaptation of Don Miller's uh, very popular book from a few years back, directed by one-time Christian rocker Steve Taylor. What are your initial thoughts? Well, thanks, Todd. I, I guess before I get into initial thoughts, I, I would like to just give full disclosure that uh, you and I were both able to screen this film at an advanced screening made available to us by the producers of the film. Yes. So I, I know that's sort of cliche these days to give disclosure, but I actually think it's somewhat important that you know critics acknowledge when they get that so that it, whatever conflict of interest might be implied. So Blue Like Jazz is a film about a young man on the cusp of college. He's in some sort of evangelical or fundamentalist Christian environment. He's getting ready to go to Bible college and at the last minute decides to go to a secular college based on a scholarship that his father provides. Uh, it's in the tagline of the movie, the most godless college in America. He... Uh, drifts away from his faith, or at least from identifying with his faith during the first year in college, but gradually works his way back to uh, perhaps a deeper, perhaps a more personal, well, perhaps a deeper, definitely a more personal and owned version of the faith. And it also deals with how he interacts with some of the people on the modern college campus. I guess my initial reactions were slight disappointment. I didn't have anything invested in the book. I, I haven't read the book. Uh, some of my friends who had seen the film at South by Southwest or who had seen other advanced screenings were a little bit positive about the film. Uh, just about everyone I talked to said, some flaws, but better than I expected. So maybe my expectations were up a tick from other so-called Christian movies, although we need to talk about that label yet again. So I was, you know, I had my hopes up. And while it wasn't terrible, it wasn't something that I'm like, oh, you know, this is, you know, yet another example of an inferior Christian movie. Neither was it really for me that superior crossover hit that either some Christian viewers wanted to make it out to be or was hoping that it would be. So 
a very muted response for me. Ultimately, if I, you know, I had to push, I would probably say thumbs down. But uh, my reasons for that might get into some specific scenes, particularly at the end that we were talking about. Uh, how does that resonate with you? Is that? Oh, I I think I had a somewhat more positive response to the film as a whole, although not not overly. Um, I, you know, in general, I look I, as I was walk. Well, didn't really walk out of the screener because it was an online deal. But as I walked away from it, I was thinking, I've I've seen this movie. Um, it, it, it's you know the typical fish out of water, coming of age sort of story. Um, the small town <coughs> kid goes to the big city and learns life lessons. And so as far as that goes, you know, nothing surprising happened. On the other hand, you know, the it was certainly dealing with religious themes. Um, and, you know, some of the, you know, foofara over the film has been over... You know, Fufara? Fufara. Fufara. Could you spell that, please? <laughs> no. no <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> Could you translate that, please? Um, Is that one of them Christian code words that means something else? I was I was trying to think of the, you know, the, the baseball term for when there's a, a dust-up oh. or a, uh, the more, what, what's the, there, there's a, there's a there's a fracas a fracas that yeah. could be a fracas. Okay, um, but you know, there, it's there, not really a word. Probably not. Okay, I, I think that's just like you're like Boomhauer on <laughs> the hill. That's like the it was one of those you know family words. Okay, but uh, it's one of those films that I think it, it, the defenders are going to defend it, you know, more, um, and the attackers are going to attack it more because of its Christian label. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I mean, I will say, you know, another full, you know full disclosure. I've I've been a huge fan of Steve Taylor ever since I was in high school, and he was doing you know his "I Want to Be a Clone" meltdown albums in the eighties. Um, and so for me, this was kind of this interesting. Oh, what's Steve up to now? Is he the one that did the song "A Personal Thing"? Yes, he yeah, did a "Personal okay. Thing" um, and many others. Okay. And you know, he's he's very well versed in Christian satire. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I was, I was just very curious. And, you know, on the plus side, walking out of it, I thought, wow, that's a not, not a bad second film. But, you know, unfortunately, I think given, you know, his stature, the stature of the book in Christian circles, um, and, you know, the debate that's been going on, you know, somewhat recently you know, in terms of Christian film, people were looking at this to be some sort of blockbuster breakthrough film. And it's not that. All right. Well, so let me let me follow up on two things that you had said. First is you had used the word typical. And so I think that's something that's worth talking about. But I want to start really with this Christian mm-hmm. label. We obviously talked a while back with Soul Surfer about the Christian label and what, you know, what does it mean? You know, what exactly does it mean to call mm-hmm. Christian a movie Christian? Is that a descriptor or is that a genre? Um, I'm not sure if we resolved that, but everyone go back if you haven't <laughs> listened to the Soul Surfer. And I'm not sure we will today. Discussion <laughs> about what we mean by all that and we'll wait. Okay. Okay. So now if you're back, we you just listen to that. Uh, is this a Christian movie? Yes. Okay. What does that mean? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, it's, you know, I would say in terms of 
is it a Christian movie? It, it it's a film that the filmmakers, at least that the writers and directors and producers, mm-hmm. have very clearly. If they haven't stated it, they I mean certainly the subject matter has stated it is about Christian themes. It's about Christianity. So Christianity's subject matter. Subject matter. In a, you know, the, the filmmakers might quibble with this, but in my eyes, looking at it, it seemed to me to be squarely aimed at a Christian audience. Okay. Now, I think, you know, there are certainly some moves made to try to broaden that target audience, but I, I have a hard time seeing, you know, a non-church person, you know, purposefully stepping out and saying, oh, yeah, I want to go see Blue Light Jazz. That's, that's an interesting observation and i think it's very astute i hadn't really thought about it because i think a lot of discussions about christian movies in the genre are looking for the crossover hit right you know by which they mean movies that will appeal to christians and non-christians and i think you're really onto something in the sense of they're looking for a broader audience but not necessarily a crossover hit that is to say maybe we are still aiming it at christians but we're aiming it at the kinds of Christians who don't like Christian movies. But that's very different than yeah. we're actually trying to aim it at non-Christians. And, and I would say I think the producers might quibble with that. Um, certainly the, the screening that I was involved with, there was a, a, a Q&A afterwards okay. with Don Miller, Steve Taylor, um, and also with Marshall Allman, uh, the, the lead actor. And they all seemed to be thinking that they were going to be reaching a broader audience. Hmm. Um, but... I don't know. It was, it was, is that marketing? Is that <laughs> well? Is that what you're hoping to do? I, I found it interesting. Sometimes in movies like this, I, I hopped on the Rotten Tomatoes before we came on okay. here, and I found it interesting that you know it had a fresh score of 44 mm-hmm. percent and an audience score of like 90, you know, or something. Right. And so uh, the audience is always more higher because the people tend to go on and vote for the stuff that they like. Sure. As opposed to the critics who will review what they like and they don't like. But that's a pretty high... Differential. Differential. And that usually tells me that a person or a film is reaching a core demographic and that demographic likes it and Mm -hmm. gets it uh, and that the broader audience, you know, doesn't. Mm -hmm. The other sort of follow-up I wanted to have on, on one of the things that you had said was uh, that were typical. Uh, one of my, I don't want to say objections to the film, but disappointment on the film, is that I felt like it, part of the way it tried to broaden the audience is that it wore two hats. Well, it's kind of funny because the whole Pope thing. And yes. that. <laughs> but, you know, tried to, it, on the one hand, it tried to be a satire. Yes. Um, and I think that part was more typical mm-hmm. or more conventional where you say, I've seen this movie before, person goes off to college. Um, and then it also tried to be a Bildungsroman, a sort of coming of age or coming to an own about a person whose religious faith is underdeveloped and then falls away from it. And, you know, here's my transition from a child of God to an adult of God. One of the things that, that I've really been thinking about is that I, I actually think that it does the harder things slightly better. The buildings are mm-hmm. on and the wrestling with faith things are slightly better, by which I mean a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit more honest than what I'm used to seeing in a Sherwood film or right. you know, a Christian film. 
Uh, but that in actuality, the more generic things, I thought fell flat. I didn't find it to be a particularly funny film. Mm-hmm. A- a- at no point do I actually remember laughing. There's one scene where they do some sort of guerrilla uh, activism and they go into a bookstore and they all dress up as robots and they just kind of look stupid to me, which, you know, again, kids look stupid. But um, I think there's supposed to be satires of the college campus. Right. And the various kinds of college students, the lesbian, the, you know, moody, you know, Russian intellectual. We had all of our stand-ins uh, of the, all of our the, characters. The hip teachers. And all of that seemed very stock and not mm. particularly funny. And so I think maybe to the extent that you are see- seeking a broader audience, well, the broader audience is going to be exposed to more films and is going to say, hey, you know, I saw the sure thing, and maybe the sure thing wasn't about religion, right? But it was about a person kind of coming to his own and being more self-aware on a college campus, and it was funny, right? Um, <laughs> and, and you know that that seems very uncharitable to say about a film that ultimately, I think, you know, tips its hand and says the buildings or Amman portions are more important, but the comedy I think needs to be a placeholder so that right? What is it, Horace? said that you mix the bitter with the sweet or, you know, you mix the pleasurable with the instruction joined. Uh, and I think that you have to have a little bit of, of pleasure and funniness in there. And it just felt like as far as a satire, it seemed very flat. I, I thought it was moderately more successful as a psychological profile of what, you know, a young mm-hmm. Christian might go through. Right. Is that, I mean... Well, I mean, it's funny. You you, you said, you know, you never laughed. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking back, and I mean, there were a few parts I certainly got some chuckles, but I think for me, part of that was, I think, early on. And it was, you know, especially before he leaves for school and watching the church interactions. And because for me, that was my church. Well, up. you're right. I did laugh at the pi- I, I did laugh at the unconscious racism of the pinata. So yeah, you the pinata, me. you know, dressing the guy up in the armor of Christ, yes. and you know that was just like, oh, I mean, I I never was at a church that went that far over the top, but I could see the top, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, and then you know that was I, I could see what he was what was being poked at, but you know, once he gets to college. And, and the, the thing that flashed into my head was this interesting bit where I forget which girl he's talking to that says this, but, you know, she was like, I liked you a lot more before you got mean. Mm. And, you know, and certainly that's part of his journey of falling, you know, distancing himself from his church past. And he takes on a different demeanor, certainly. But I almost wonder if the film itself kind of lost some of that lightness. Right. And it's not that I don't think the film ever gets mean, but I think it does lose some of that lightheartedness. Right. And, um, yeah, and it, it, it's, I think, you know, it's trying to deal with the serious things seriously, but then maybe it loses the ability to deal with the funny things in a funny way. I, I think that goes back to the whole question of broadening. I hope it's okay to say this. If not, we can go back and edit it out. <laughs> I mean, it seemed to me like you had said, well, this was my church growing up, right. you know, uh, that there's a lot more of a little bit more for you of laughter that comes out of familiarity. Mm-hmm. I rec- Not that that's inherently funny right. or ridiculous, but I recognize that. Whereas 
Uh, my own faith background, my parents were nominal Catholic. I was not raised in any particular tradition. And by the time, you know, I received Christ or, you know, had a conversion experience, I was 16 or 17. And so my integration into a church was I already had, so, I already had some of that distance between mm-hmm. sort of, I was coming to the church as an anthropological outsider saying, why would anyone be in church who didn't believe these things and didn't want to be here? And, you know, wait a minute, that's odd or that's, so I didn't really have to wean myself away from a, a faith that wasn't mine and then reintegrated. And right. so I, I didn't have a lot of those superficial church experiences. Not that I don't mean to call your church superficial. No, I, but, but the, the, uh, the trappings. Yeah, yeah, the trappings. And so there wasn't as much familiarity. And I think then, you know, absent the people who are going to laugh at, yeah, that's my life. That's familiar. <laughs> Boy, they got that right. Sure. You know, um, what you do want to laugh at are the things that you are familiar with. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's the college experience. Right. That's the more, you know, general things. Which I think are you use the word typical. I would have used the word more generic in the film. Sure, no, I, I think that's all fair. Um, it's funny. I the, the, there's a song by the band Over the Rhine who's on the soundtrack for the album, um, and it's one of their Christmas songs. But they also have a song called The Laugh of Recognition, mm-hmm. and very much about that sort of thing of when we see those things that that are familiar. Mm-hmm. It, it there there can be just a, a a kind of laughter that's just generated by. Oh yeah, yeah, um, and, and that's certainly certainly there. Yeah, you mentioned the college experience. I, I, I my I wrestled with myself a bit in terms of how I was feeling about the college experience and how or how some of the secular folks were presented. That was certainly one of the conversations in the Q and A afterwards. Um, there was one particular person who was actually started off being very angry about some of the depictions of Christians in the hmm. film. Um, and then when he couldn't get anywhere with that questioning, started then attacking the depiction of the non-Christians in the film. And, you know, are they stereotypical? Sure. Um, I, I, I was a little frustrated, I guess, with that sort of something that is very typical in the evangelical world of this depiction of the, of the university as being this big monster that's yeah. out to devour your soul. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, um, the college is depicted in the film, and also that's you know described in the book, is very similar to a school that exists in real life near where I grew up, mm. um, Oberlin College, okay. which is just it's known as a bastion of liberalism and students doing crazy things constantly sitting in the, the president's house, taking over the campus, doing all sorts right. of these sorts of things. Uh, so it's, it's that weird thing of it's out there. You know, that, that place exists. But then is it really the, the – is that the normal college experience? Right. Well, you know, I think we're bumping towards a, a conversation that that is central to – both my willingness to defend the film and where where it falls short, which is the complaints that you were making about, well, the depiction of this or the yeah. depiction of that. There's a part of me that says it's satire. Right. You know, and the part that's satire, that's what satire does. It exaggerates. And then you laugh. If it's familiar, 
You know, the best satire mm-hmm. is the satire that's satirized just a little bit where you realize this isn't the real thing. Right. Um, and that's as true for the depiction of the university as it is for the depiction of, of Christianity. Mm-hmm. That is to say, yes, it's exaggerated in the college, but not by that much. There is an emotional truth there there um, that I think I'm okay with. I wasn't offended as a mm-hmm. person who was in college sort of saying – you know, the way I might be with the Borowitz report attack or, you know, Fox News attack that says, oh, it's this, you know, because uh, in fact, the college is shown as being, you know, there is a place where anyone can speak their opinions, even Christians. And, right. Um, and that was certainly my experience in college. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I was teaching and went into a Christian college where I started actually hearing this accusation that it's like, oh, well, you know, Christianity is suppressed and it's not fair. And I'm like, really? Because I went to a secular college and <laughs> no one ever told me I couldn't right. be a Christian. They just said that they could be whatever it is that they wanted to be. But, you know, there, there are – so there are exaggerations and that's the stock mm-hmm. part of satire. Now, we disagreed about this a little bit, but I had made a comment in the car that that I think satire is usually divided up into two strains. There's the Horatian satire named after Horace and that tends to be gentler. It's supposed to have reform as its purpose. People will see this and laugh and maybe change their behavior because that's silly. I don't want to be silly. Right. And it's usually self-reflective of the audience and the author. Hey, look at us and the silly things that we do. So let's take other Christians and invite them to talk about. Right. You know, then there's juvenilian satire, which is more of the Saturday Night Live, the John, the Daily stuff, the Daily Show. Um, you know, South Park, which is let's hold something up for scorn and ridicule that we all think is ridiculous and scorn it and point at it and laugh at it. And um, I, I do think that I wasn't really sure where, you know, I felt like Blue Like Jazz was trying to be more of that Horatian, mm-hmm. you know, more of the, okay, uh, gentler with the purpose of reform. But I never really felt like there was a self-indictment. I felt like the Donald Miller character was caught between two extremes and was criticizing both of them. Here's how superficial the church is, and that's not me. I want a personal faith. But here's how godless and exaggerated the university is, and I I sense that that's an equally wrong answer. And I don't think that ever reflects itself back to, okay, here are the ways in which I'm silly or ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's just... Poor me, I'm caught in a world where, you know, I, I can't, I feel drawn upon to choose sides and I don't have a side that I like, you know. Well, and that gets us to the kind of climax of the yes. film, the, the big confessional. Um, our, our hero has, you know, spent the whole movie wanting to be accepted by this culture at the college and mm-hmm. and finally is in, the, in right. the most public and elaborate way possible he is accepted mm-hmm. he is named the new pope of of the campus um and then has to take confessions and in the first confession he confesses mm-hmm. and so and you know more as a you know we've had some of this conversation but i'll i'll play the the angel's advocate. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, he say he's not willing or not criticizing himself. He's pointing the fingers in other directions. So what do we do with, you know, or how do we re- read then his confession? 
in the confessional where, where he says, ah, I was ashamed of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was ashamed of Jesus because I was trying to be accepted. Right. Um, and that, and that caused me to do X, Y, and Z. How does that scene or how does that, that little bit fit into what you're, what you're saying there? Well, I, I think that the, the confessional scene at the climax, um, is the place in which the two strands of the movie come together or mm-hmm. try to come together. That is the satire and the buildings are on because you know it's important to me that in that scene yes that scene is a confession but it's also an apology mm-hmm. you know the the person who had been the previous pope of the campus uh, was a guy who was very angry and very hostile towards christianity and the donald miller character somewhat figures out that uh or suspects that the previous pope the campus figure had been molested or sexually abused by a priest mm-hmm. as a child. And so there is this confession of here's what I did, but there's also an apology. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I am sorry. Yes. Um, and it's one of those apologies where I think the confession worked a little bit more for me as a Bildens or a monk because it's treated that emotional experience of a lot of young Christians of I am ashamed. I'd rather be cool than I'd rather be mm-hmm. whatnot. But then it gets sort of glommed on to this much more serious thing of, well, there are reasons that I am ashamed of the church or don't want to be associated with the church, and they're not just all prejudice. The church has done some bad things, and I apologize to you, not just for personally the ways that I haven't told you the truth about who I am, but for the things that have happened to mm-hmm. you. Right. And I felt like... There is a little bit of self-exploration or epiphany in that scene, but all of the indictment is for the church in a generic sense. It's not, you know, I'm not apologizing for anything that I've done because, in fact, I've been somewhat tolerant of the lesbian roommate of the, you know, particular thing. I I mentioned in the car, too, that I, I think the... It bothered me a little bit that the symbol of the church's hypocrisy that has to be apologize for becomes the sexual abuse of the clergy, which is widely associated with the Roman Catholic Church. So you actually then have a fundamentalist Protestant or an evangelical Protestant saying, oh, I am sorry for this part of the church, Uh, but that's a little bit too easy. That that Mm -hmm. still comes across to me a little bit as you know, pointing fingers, or that's an inferior version of Christianity, but ours is closer or better. Uh, you had mentioned that within the self-indictment, there is a little bit where the girlfriend Penny challenges him about his mother and his non-acceptance of the right. mother. Um, and I think that would have been somehow or another. It's almost like I wanted the climactic bring together of the threads to be an apology, not to the other Pope for the fact that mm-hmm. he was abused as a child, but an apology to the mother for here's what I have done and here's why I did yeah. it, you know? It, it it seemed to me, I mean, yeah, I I, I had some ambivalence about that right. that scene. And, and ambivalence in the in the truest sense. There there was part of me that really responded positively mm-hmm. um to to that scene. And it, and it's the part of me that thinks that this is a film where the audience really is not the broader secular audience. That's it, true. It, it it's the in, in a sense, it's people like me that grew up in the church, um, that they grew up in the evangelical Protestant church, uh, that, because that's going to resonate. Okay. You know, that's sort of, um, 
you know, yeah, the church has done horrible things, and how do I deal with that? And maybe just somebody has to say I'm sorry, mm-hmm. um, even if it's not, you know, even if it's nothing that I did. Okay. Um, on the other hand, being ambivalent, um, yeah, there were these parts where I felt, you know, it, well, it felt like some of my students when they write their papers, and they give they give me a bunch of evidence or a bunch of examples, and then never tie them together. Right. Um, and then. At the end of the paper, say, well, I have shown that. It's like, mm, no, you've given me three examples that have not been tied together. Right. And so, yeah, we get the, you know, the, the Catholic priest abuse. We get the mother who's been having an affair with the youth pastor. Um, you know, these other things, and they're there, but they're not tied in. And I, and I wonder if some of that is, you know, seeking that broader Christian, even though it starts out in a very clearly, you know, evangelical Protestant church, at some point, it the Donald Miller character is now talking about all of Christianity, um, but that I mean it, it's muddled. And, yeah, and, or I mean I had a thought while you were talking that I actually liked, which is you know you brought up the point again that okay, who is the audience? Right, and if you're going to say that the audience is the broader non-Christian audience, then. Thinking as a non-Christian audience, I would going to say, okay, I'm responding as the recipient of the apology. Right. Sort of saying, okay, well, you know, why are you apologizing for this other thing? And thinking that makes you a better Christian. Why don't mm-hmm. you apologize? But that's part of me and my very special thing about apologies. And, you know, I have very concrete things about that. But one of the things you're making me think of is, well, actually, if this is really designed for Christians – then maybe it's not so much like it's important that I that that the audience associate themselves with the Pope and say, okay, I'm apologizing to you and this is going to feel better, but that the audience identify with Don and sort of say, here's how you, here's how you relate to the world. Right. Now go thou and do likewise. Don't mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that I'm still then a little bit of like, okay, well. That's still a little bit of the self-protective. I, I think it would be mm-hmm. a bolder and a stronger call to other Christians to say, you know, uh, I'm apologizing to the people I have wronged right. or I have thought of it uncharitably. Now go thou and do likewise. But there is a legitimate sort of function of you have to recognize as Christians in the world that there are going to be people who hate Christianity and hate you because you associate with Christianity, not for anything that you have done. And our fight or flight reflex tends to say, well, that's not me. That's not us. I've got to, I've got to stand up for Christianity. But I think there is a core emotional truth there, which is to say there are some people who are not going to get argued into the kingdom of heaven until they, they need to be acknowledged. Right. They need to have their hurt acknowledged. They need to have their pain acknowledged. They need to have something acknowledged. Um, and even if you didn't do it, the larger, more loving thing is to recognize Yes, um, I acknowledge that this is real and that that has to be dealt with um, and that um, I can't just call on you to say that that doesn't matter. Um, I think in that sense, then, I, I would have preferred that it not be in the form of an apology, but something where he's actually saying to the person, not, I am sorry, yeah. you know, for this, but that's horrible. Because one of the things I've learned from apologies, I've had a lot of things that have happened to me in my life, brother being murdered, father being, you know, 
hostage in Iran, you know, a different treatment where people have said, I'm sorry. And I'm like, well, what are you sorry for? You, right. you know, you didn't do anything. That doesn't make me feel any better. And I've learned then in my own dealing with people who, you know, sister-in-law has cancer, someone who's going through a divorce, that I usually don't say, I'm sorry. I say, that sucks. You, you know, that's right. terrible. I grieve with you. I hurt with you. Um, and, and sometimes then... I, I think that I, I think it's on to something. I think the film is on to something, but like a, a lot of things, it's it's murky, you yeah. know. And that's where I come back to it, it's a it's a it's a director's second film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a director still getting, you know, getting his chops. And and I, I we had talked a little bit about who wrote it and, and right because I, I was saying a lot of those problems are writing problems are writing and not problems. necessarily the direction and it you know Steve Taylor the director um, shares credit with uh, another uh, Ben Pearson okay um, for the screenplay so it's to, and obviously Don Miller was involved as well mm-hmm. um, they talked Don about Miller that. wrote the book Don Miller wrote the book um, and actually some of the problems that. You know I, that I think we're seeing with the film, or when I read the book, there were some reservations I had mm-hmm. just about the book. So, you know, and again, you know, we get into that whole question of adaptation and right and all that. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's it's trying to do something, yeah, and you know, kind of bring our conversation back to this whole Christian film thing. Right. We had also t- talked in the production notes about this. There tends to be in, you know, in niche markets, this idea that every film that comes out has to be the film. Right. This is, you know, this film is going to represent all of Christendom Mm -hmm. um, to the world. And therefore, it must be perfect. And if it's not perfect, we will defend it like it is. Yes. Um, The analogy I always use is my friend Catherine, you know, had said she's lesbian and she had said, you know, every gay and lesbian film has to stand in for the totality of the right. gay and lesbian experience. And that's just not possible. It's not possible. Know? It's not realistic. Yeah. And I think some of the expectations for fans, you know, the, the, the fans of Don Miller, the fans of Steve Taylor, some of those expectations were, oh, this is going to be the great Christian right. film. Um, this is going to be the antidote to all those other Christian films that we don't like. Right. And, you know, that's a weight it can't carry. And, and I don't think it should be. Well, it's could anyone? Carry. Carry. Yeah, yeah, no one can. You carry. know, or it's the sum totality of the Christian experience, so broad and so varied that if you do something well, other parts of it are not going to like that. Right. And and I think you know that needs to be acknowledged that you know it's it's a film. Mm-hmm. It is a Christian themed film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's getting there. It, 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 I think in what it's trying to do, it is certainly more complex than you know, some other recent things we've seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess that, that, that pretty much sums up my feelings. It's sort of, I walked out saying, I, unlike say, you know, courageous or, well, I haven't seen fireproof, but like I walked out saying, I didn't quite like it, but I'm not going to take issue with somebody who did. I'm not Mm going to be, you know, if someone had told me, Oh, I like that. or I really enjoyed it. I'm not going to go, really? Really? You know, really? You know, whereas sometimes my reaction to the film like Courageous, if someone tells me I liked it, I'm like skeptical. I'm like, no, you didn't. You you know, you just think that you're supposed to like it or, you know, you think it's your duty to like it. You know, whereas 
I could really, if someone told me that they liked Blue Light Jazz, I'm like, okay, I can believe, you know, at the very least I can believe you, and that's progress. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, production-wise, it's, it's you, know, I, you know, I grew up you know, in the 70s going to church and watching Christian film in the 70s where, you know, they couldn't even get lighting and focus correct. Right. Um, so, to, you know, it's like, hey, we, we can get lighting and focus right. Right. And... You know, we can, we have actual actors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the film's got some pretty, you know, rising star actors involved, and this is this is a step. Yeah. All right. Anything else? No, I think we, we've given enough people, you know, enough fodder to disagree with us a lot. And, <laughs> okay. And you know, and if, if and if you do, um, we do thank you for listening. Right. And <laughs> and if you've got hate mail, that should go to Todd. At, <laughs> at if you've got comments on this episode, uh, please do visit our website at www.filmgeekradio.com and leave us comments. Um, you can email us at thethinplace at filmgeekradio.com. Um, you can follow Ken on Twitter at Ken Morefield or at tweet. His, tweet tweet or at his blog, the number one morefilmblog.com. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.